I invite you to stand for the reading of the scripture. Psalm 143. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart is within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way that I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. The word of the Lord. In my early 20s, I worked as a technician for a large animal vet, veterinarian. And so that sometimes meant um, after a farm call, I came home with a new pet. And among them were two goats named Lucy and Ethel. <laughs> but they weren't your typical goats. They were fainting goats. So that meant if you startled them, if you ran up behind them, if you made any loud noise, they would they would go paralyzed and fall over. They were great entertainment, and I promise you, it did not hurt them at all. <laughs> but if you need a good laugh, you can Google fainting goats sometime. A fainting goat's freeze response is a genetic mutation in their muscles that makes them susceptible to predators. They cannot fight or flee predators, and so they're easy prey. And similar to the physiological freeze response in Lucy and Ethel, you and I have a spiritual freeze response that endangers us. Traditionally, this spiritual freeze response has been called acedia. Sometimes it's called slothfulness. I, out of preference, will be referring to it as acedia tonight. And acedia can be summarized as the avoidance to love God and to love your neighbor. For centuries, it has been understood as one of the dead, seven deadly sins, or one of the sins that can cause the most harm to our souls. And the way that it causes us harm is that it's a thief. It robs us of rest, of purpose, of optimism, of motivation, and true connection with ourselves, with others, and with God. Not to be confused with laziness, acedia is more of a spiritual idleness, an apathy. 
It's a lack of caring or an attitude of indifference that comes from a deep desire to have peace. But acedia, it's a trickster. It's a false sense of peace that numbs us to the clarity of our life. It numbs us to our own desires, joy, our purpose. And this trouble with this false sense of peace is that we never truly experience rest because there's a sense in which we're always carrying this burden. That perpetual burden that we're carrying comes from putting things off, avoiding spiritual work, not doing the thing that we have been called by God to do. As we meditate on Psalm 143 together, we'll see why the wisdom in this particular psalm has been understood as the antidote to spiritual idleness, to acedia. And it's been understood this way for thousands of years. This psalm is traditionally said on Ash Wednesday. We'll start in verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my pleas for mercy. And your faithfulness answer me in your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one is living, no one living is righteous before you. The psalmist begins by acknowledging, I need your help, God, because I am fallible and human, and therefore I am not like you. When we begin to feel apathetic in our love towards God or toward our neighbor, this is also where we should begin, asking for God's mercy, not because of our merit. We call on God because we know that he is just and kind. Oftentimes in our pride, we forget where we stand in comparison to God's righteousness. The idea of fallibility or the incompleteness of the human condition is something that Paul will pick up in the New Testament in Romans 3 when he says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But the broader understanding here in Psalms is that anything, all of creation, is incomplete and subservient to God. And the good news is, God knows this about his creation. God isn't surprised by our humanness. It isn't a failure to feel human, to feel pain, to feel heartbreak, to feel indifference or apathy. We are incomplete, which is the nature of the human condition, but we rely on God's righteousness as the source of compassionate love for us. We can be assured in our pain that there is a presence of love always waiting for us. So tonight, if you're feeling an emotional pain, try not to curse it or avoid it or numb it or run from it or feel like a failure because of it. Can you maybe for a moment see your pain as an invitation to reach a love that can withstand that pain? Verse 3, for the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. 
Therefore, my spirit faints within me, and my heart is heart within me is appalled. David says that the enemy has pursued his soul. The choice we have, the opportunity presented to us in moments of exquisite pain, is to remember our soul. It's the half of us that we often forget. More than flesh and blood and mind and heart, we are also soul. It's that part of us that's eternally connected to the divine. And it can, according to this, be harmed. And it does need healing. And it does need to be cared for. Thomas Aquinas defined acedia as the sluggishness of the mind which neglects to begin good. I'll read that again. Sluggishness of the mind that neglects to begin good. A spiritual freeze state that leaves our heart believing that we cannot affect goodness in our world is an enemy to our soul. In other words, when I'm not doing what I've been called to do in the moment that I should do it, it's ultimately a malicious act towards my future self. I become the enemy to my own soul. I'm avoiding the path of spiritual growth that my future self needs. But instead of doing that work, I trade it in for the comfort of the immediate This is how sinister acedia can be. I'm sinning against God who has called me to do something, but I'm potentially sinning against someone who is relying on me to begin good. And I'm also sinning against my future self. My spiritual idleness is harming my soul. The distress that David is experiencing has put him in the state of spiritual paralysis, and he calls it, or describes it, like those long dead. This human life is full of experiences that leave us feeling like we are on life support. It's kind of like we're here, but not really fully awake to our own lives. And if I think about the last two years and all the valleys that we have been through individually, um, the struggles that we've endured, our families have endured, our neighbors have endured. It's no wonder why, in my experience, so many people still feel those tendrils of darkness pulling them downward. I think about our church and the storms that we've weathered over the last couple of years, storms of you know, loss of community, loss of the familiarity of the old way, and now the anticipated goodbye to our pastor. We've experienced some grief, and we are weathering storms that may make us susceptible to choosing a false sense of peace rather than loving God and loving our new neighbors. Just take a moment And ask yourself if it's more helpful to close your eyes. That's fine to reflect. How is your soul? If you're not sure how to answer that question, because it's not a common one, maybe ask yourself, how have I become indifferent 
where do I want to throw in the towel and give up right now? Where in my life have I stopped hoping for better? Am I making myself small? Does it feel easier to bury my dreams and desires so I can survive the storm I'm in? So you may have identified a place that your soul needs healing or care, and you might be like, thanks for pointing that out, Paige. <laughs> but now, now what do we do? What do we do with this? How do we reignite our passion, our motivation, our love for God, and our love for neighbor? It might be tempting to um, maybe rely on willpower, um, and that might work for a little while. It may be tempting to read another self-help book to get that motivation. It might be tempting to add more to our plate, to do more, to get busier, but the psalmist shows us that a reorientation towards God is what is needed. And this is the turning point in the psalm. This is where we find the antidote to spiritual paralysis in verse 5. It begins to shift. He says, I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Do you ever take time just to sit back and ponder what God has done in the past? It can be really fun to do and very encouraging. When we take time to ponder God's work, we're, we're given a fresh way to trust God and we can honestly say, may our lives, our family, our church, be the workmanship of your hands because we trust you. Do whatever you want in our valley so that we can display your glory in even greater ways. If you're interested in pondering God's faithfulness as a daily practice, there is a simple technique, an ancient one, called the daily examen. And it's a way to reflect on the day to see where God's presence has shown up in your life. So simple. It's available to everyone. I even do this with my kids at home. You simply become aware of God's presence in stillness and silence. And then you just review your day. You think about the desolations and the consolations, which I like to say the roses and the thorns, the good parts and the not so good parts. And then as you think about those events that bring up emotion, you pay attention to how you feel. And then you end that time of reflection by taking a desolation, one of the thorny patches in your life, and talking to God about it, asking for his mercy. And we'll practice an abbreviated form of examen together tonight during the prayer. There's a poetic wordplay with, um, with the word hands in verse 5 and 6 worth mentioning. Verse 5, David says, I ponder the work of your hands. 
And verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you. The stretching out of the hands is a gesture of prayerfulness. It's also one of surrender. It's an act of opening and receiving whatever God has planned for us. And through this poetic wordplay, David is creating a contrasting image that God's hands are quite dissimilar to human hands, our hands, the receiving hands that take whatever God gives them. Let's look at verse 7. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for I trust in you. Make me know the way I should go, for I lift up my soul. If we pay attention to the choice of words in these verses, we notice that the poet uses language reminiscent of the Song of Songs. These are words of an, a lover's active devotion. My soul is dying for you. Hurry up. Answer me quickly. Are you hiding from me? My soul is rising to you. So through remembering all that God has done in the days of old, David lights up with passion for God. There is no mistake here how the poet feels towards God. Through repetition of his words, he's communicating how much love for God is in his heart, how much he desires God to reveal God's self to him, and how deeply loyal he is to God. Verse 8 in particular, he says, let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love. In other words, let me start each day with an awareness of how to live my life. Metaphorically, God, shine the light so I can see the way before me. Show me the way so that I can diligently walk in it. The rising sun, the morning light, any new beginning in your life is one way of experiencing God's love. And with that love, our indifference can transform into passion and hopefulness. Loving kindness is used twice in the last half of the psalm, verse 8 and 12. The psalmist is saying, not only do I desire your loving kindness, but I depend on you, God, to give me the capacity to experience your loving kindness. There is a deep humility here in understanding that God as creator is also the enabler of our capacities. And the second half of verse 8, make me know the way I should go, underscores our dependence on God as creator. Verse 9, deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. David says, teach me to do your will because I am teachable and I will look to learn from you, the righteous one, how to live my life. When sailing out on the ocean, any wind where a ship does not know its port of destination is known as a disturbing wind. 
which is to say, only when we know where we want to go is the wind and our sail able to assist us. And here in verse 10, the image is God's, I love this, good spirit, a good wind that can lead you and I to safe ground, level ground. The word for level here in Hebrew is synonymous with righteous. In verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life and your righteousness bring my soul out of trouble. David appeals to God's reputation. I think it's pretty clever. He says, God, do kindness to me because it's good for your name. (laughs) And David also appeals to God's righteousness to receive God's loving kindness. In other words, God's righteousness is linked to God's loving kindness. What we can learn from David's prayer is God's righteousness will bring us out of the dark storms of life and into the morning light. God's righteousness will deliver us from the trouble of our enemies, the trouble of our souls. And God's righteousness will lead us to level ground and a righteous path. And finally, verse 12, and in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. The final image here is one of God's power and God's ability to affect change. God can untie our hands and deliver our heart from the pain of grief, fear, disappointment, any kind of pain. And love can set us free from the enemy of our soul. And sometimes our enemies aren't as hard to face as we imagine them to be. We make them out to be much more in our imagination than sometimes they are. But sometimes our enemies are really as big as we imagine them to be. And in those cases, we need God to enable our capacity to face our fears and to push through difficult work. When we learn to spiritually persevere in those moments and to press through difficult situations, we're promised that we will be given something that can't be lost. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So to summarize this psalm, we must believe that God is who God says he is. We also must believe who God says we are. And we must believe that God's good spirit given to us through Christ, activates and enables our capacity to love God and love our neighbor. As we go into a time of prayer, like I said, we're going to practice together an examen, daily examen, an abbreviated one. So you can go ahead and close your eyes, and I'll just lead you through this, and then we'll go into some silent prayer together. Where have you experienced God's presence today? 
take notice of the roses of today, the consolations. Those are times when you felt yourself moving toward God's active presence. And maybe you can tell those moments because you sensed a growth in your love or faith or mercy or hope. Any qualities that we know as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But also take notice of the thorns in today, the desolations. When did you feel yourself moving away from God's presence? And maybe you can know when those were because you might have felt more resentment or fear or selfishness and so on. So this first part, we're just going to reflect on those, the events of our day.